Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Yeah. Hey. It's a good question. I think. I don't know. Uh, guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by the number one producer in late night. It's Dave Willemowski. Dave! How are you doing? Hey guys. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um I'm just I'm just grinding, you know. I'm just getting that bread. Yeah. Still. Uh-huh. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I don't know, man. Today kind of today kind of kicked my butt. I'm feeling busy worn day. out. Yeah. Yeah, really really busy day. Well, I mean, show day every week. Always a really big yeah. day to ramp up. And then, and then you know, everything goes into Wednesday, and then Thursday morning rolls around, and it's like, ah, you know, the 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 week is behind me. But it's not behind me, is it, Dave? No, it's not even <laughs> not even close. It's still happening. Yeah, no, it's it's not over. God. It's okay though, because I am looking forward to the Liberty event of the year, which is the sixth annual It's Too Late live show coming up Saturday, May eighteenth. Here in beautiful Columbia, Tennessee. Look at all the stuff we're going to be doing. You can see the itinerary on the site there. Uh, Aaron's got oh, yeah. the links in chat. It's down there in the in the show notes mm-hmm. below. Uh, we're going to Jumbo House, and we're going to eat a bunch of unhealthy yeah. food. And then we're going to go to Poncho's, and we're going to eat a bunch of unhealthy food. And then we're actually the day of the event out at Blake's. And we're going mm-hmm. to um, probably just go ahead and eat some more healthy food. Yeah. Unhe- yeah. And th- but but then there'll be a live show to help you digest, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> Wait, what was that supposed? To? You don't you don't you know what, Dave? You don't sound sufficiently excited. Oh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I thought you were a company man. <laughs> Why? Reluctantly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if you get any more coffee. Get him, Steve. <laughs> um, boy, lots of stuff to talk about tonight. Tucker Carlson is back in the news. Do we? You have a picture of Tucker Carlson? Yeah, there he is. Wow, that's a good picture. Oh, no, it's retarded. (laughs) Everyone is waiting with bated breath for the release of Carlson's interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. That's right. Tucker Carlson went to Russia to interview Putin. Um, And, you know, that, that actually upset a lot of people, particularly political pundits and particularly on the left side of the political spectrum. No. Um, they're calling his journey to Russia treasonous. Treasonous. Treason. Wow. Not, hey, I, I, and I don't really know how he's like a traitor if he's just traveling to a country that we're not at war with. Allegedly, hmm. yeah. Allegedly, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know why they're picking on Tucker, because it, was it treason when Barbara Walters or Megyn Kelly or Oliver Stone or Charlie Rose all went to go interview Vladimir Putin? Look at that. Yeah. But you know what? He's actually going to one-up all of those people, because he's not just there for the interview. Tucker Carlson's also playing the role of Peacemaker. Oh, nice. Uh, I actually have a picture right here. Uh, For the first time since the start of the war, Tucker Carlson has brought together Russian President Vladimir Putin as well as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Check that out. Oh, he's fixing it. Yeah. They look like old pals. That's nice. They do. Yeah. (laughs) Zelensky looks like he's one little mustache short of a different kind of look there. Um, (laughs) Dave, have I ever mentioned to you that I hate Nikki Haley? 
Oh man, almost constantly. Yeah, just the the queen neocon herself, and you know, couldn't happen to a finer lady. It's just going <laughs> from bad to worse for Nikki Haley. Uh, the the latest faux pas, if you can even call it that, is we had the Nevada caucuses out west, and she finished second once again. This time, oh. to the projected winner, none of these candidates. <laughs> yes, none of these candidates Shroudster. with more than double the vote of Nikki Haley. But hey, it's not all doom and gloom for Nikki Haley. No. She did get the full-throated endorsement of one John Bolton this week. Here, take a look. And I'm absolutely throwing my support behind Nikki Haley. In okay. fact, I'd even give her a free mustache ride. Hop on, Ooh. Nikki. The train's leaving the station. Chugga, 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 choo, choo. Can you can you say that on on national television? I don't I don't, I don't know. Jeez, my goodness, Mr. Bolton. Um, hey, we got some entertainment news for you tonight. Disney is considering moving ahead with a sixth a sixth Pirates Whoa. of the Caribbean film, uh, but without the franchise's leading man, Johnny Depp. Now, to replace the character of Jack Sparrow, Disney is considering a more feminine approach. Now, hold on. Stay with me. Instead <laughs> okay. of going with Jack Sparrow, they're going to go with the legendary pirate queen of the Caribbean herself, Anne Bonny, as portrayed oh, right there. Badass. Yeah. Oh. Looks, looks pretty cool to me. I don't know. But yeah. hey, who is going to be in talks to play this Irish red-haired Ooh. sea mistress, Ooh. you might ask? Well, of course, who else could play the role? It's none other than Ayo Edabiri. Ayo Edabiri. 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 They just don't learn. They just can't no. stop it. All right. <laughs> and finally, this evening, sad news in the world of country music as famous singer Toby Keith has died. Uh, do we have a picture of Toby Keith? Yeah, I just got this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang, oh, that's wait. not Toby Keith. That's 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 Kobe Teeth. Oh. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm actually old enough to remember when Toby Keith was beefing with the Dixie Chicks. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. You were back oh, yeah. back in the W. Bush days when we were off going to war with Iraq and the Dixie. Days. Yeah, the Dixie Chicks were like boo. George W. Boo War with Iraq and Toby Keith was like, You're not patriotic, you're not an American. Mm -hmm. Um uh, oh, do we do we have a picture of the Dixie Chicks? Oh yeah, here you go. My word. Oh. It's, it's like oops, oh. all trannies. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but you know, uh Toby Keith actually passed away of stomach cancer. Uh so I, I don't really think you could say that he lost his battle. I think it was really more of a draw. And it's also kind of more of a draw with the Dixie Chicks since they dropped the word Dixie and now they're just the chicks in the cringiest move in country Seriously. music history. Yeah, right. Um, but before we move on, I want to tell everybody about tonight's sponsor, which is Fox and Sons Coffee, which you can find at foxandsons.com. If you use promo code ITL, you get 18% off orders wow. of $25 or more. Shipping's always free on orders of $37.99. That's at foxandsons.com. I've actually got some of the some of it right here. This is the electric Ooh. boogaloo. Yeah, I, I like to give it a little Yeah. And then just a little fluff it. Just fluff it. 
if you're wondering what I'm doing here, folks, if you look on the back of the bag, you see the patented sniff hole. Can you get it? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, it's just... Look at that. <laughs> oh. Take a minute. It's fine. Hey, did you also hear that they've got a special going on right now? This is the Bean what? of the Month Club. Yeah, for twenty seven oh ninety nine every month for six months, you get two bags in the mail, one of their traditional blends, such as the Electric Boogaloo, but also one of their more exotic blends. Oh. Like that honey-flavored copy month. from Brazil. Yeah. yeah, check that out. Ain't that? I bet that's the coffee that, you know, like Winnie the Pooh would like, you know? Yeah. 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 He could get, get into that. that. Yeah. Oh you, oh, you could get into that, could you? Oh, yeah. Are we still talking? Anyway, thing. so that's Fox and Sons Coffee, which you can find at foxandsons.com. Promo code ITL. Uh, what do you think? Commercial break? Yeah, let's do it. Back to the show, everybody. Uh, tonight's fortune cookie says, "A tub and rub will change our day." What? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> okay. Wait. Hold on. A tub and rub will change our day. You sure that's a B tub? I that that is that is what it says, but it's still. Okay kind of treading some uncomfortable territory there to be honest with you uh your tonight's numbers are 9 56 39 29 21 and 20 um yeah i'm i'm down with three of those numbers that's all i'm saying all right uh Oh my God, let me tell you about tonight's other sponsor, which is the Tennessee Hot Sauce Company, which you can find at tnhotsauceco.com. If you use promo code, it's mm. too late. All one word. It's mm. too late. You get 10% off your entire order of nice. a wide array of their hot sauces and beef jerkies, including this one. Check this out. I know this is Dave's favorite. It's the ginger jalapeno. Dave, where's your ginger yeah. jalapeno at? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think she's here. And if you check it out on the side, uh, the ginger jalapeno is actually quite personable. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I could have told you that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, it's uh, zero calories with jalapeno, chili peppers, ginger, basin, basil, and lime. Basil. Wow. Basin. Okay. Yeah. And salt. She's, I mean, she gets a little salty sometimes. I mean, sometimes. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, who, do, who does anyway? Uh, that's the Tennessee Hot Sauce Company, which you can find at tnhotsauceco.com. Promo code, it's too late. Uh, hey, Dave. Yes, Alan. What time is it? Time for Meme of the Week. 
Yeah, that is yeah. so accurate. Yeah, oh is, it, is it though? <laughs> oh, oh my god. But we do have a bonus meme. Check out the oh bonus boy. meme. They like it when you surprise them with it like that, too. Yeah, that's exactly how you say it. Look, it's another... That kid's all right. I like that yeah, kid. Both places. Oh, not on an oh my God. Yeah, yeah not, on, not on an airplane, but certainly places. Uh, whew, let's go ahead and answer some viewer mail. There's people in chat that are really upset about the Civic down the street at 2 a.m. I'm still laughing about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Aaron Kittner writes, Dear Alan and Dave, as I recover from surgery, oh, do you have any tips or tricks for pain management that doesn't involve narcotics? Oh. Um, barbiturates aren't narcotics, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the categories. I'll try whatever. Well, that's... It's alcohol, so I mean. Oh, oh you. Yeah. I mean, Dave, you've oh, you've been known yeah. to tie one on. Do you feel pain? Yeah. Now and again, um, like physically, no. Like, like this Mentally. is that yeah, this is that movie Unbreakable. <laughs> Dave right now is trying to remember the last time he was sick or felt pain, and he can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron, there you go. Yeah, I mean, look, people in the chat are saying it. They didn't have to ask. Yeah, just drink. Just get it. Just, <laughs> well, just become an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. Go back to your to your your uh, checkup, like your your uh, physical therapy, and tell them, "Oh, I sorry, I didn't need these pills. I've gotten into drinking." Yeah, picked uh, up a new hobby. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eric Eli writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, do you open doors for women when you're out in public?" Dave, are you old fashioned guy? You still open doors for ladies? I open doors for everyone. Especially, especially ladies. Like I might, I might wait an extra second or two. Like if they're a little further away, make them uncomfortable, mm -hmm. hold it, act impatient. But yeah, I'll usually hold it for anybody if mm -hmm. if they're coming in behind me. I think it's just polite. A lot of people coming in behind you, Dave. Wow, damn. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I do. Yeah, sure. You know what? The day will never come that I'm gonna be afraid to hold a door yeah. open for a woman because. In fact, you know what? If that woman stomps her feet Ooh. and says, how dare you op hold this door open for me? I don't need your help. I'll slam it in her face. Yeah. Push him back out. Close it. No, no, no. I'm not pushing. The door was going to push him back out. The glass <laughs> through their facial structure is going to push him back out, Dave. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brooke Atkinson <laughs> writes, Dear Alan and Dave, hypothetically speaking, what is the best way to total a car? You ever totaled a car, Dave? At least one. I got T-bone leaving work. It was Mary's car. Oh, she no. She's still with me. Yeah, yeah, I totaled her car. But I think around here, the best way is just potholes. You can you can bend your frame in one of those. Hmm. You ever bench you your frame? Right. Um, um, no. You know what? Actually, knock on wood, I have never been pulled over. I have never had an accident in my life. Wow. Not one. I know. Yeah, Good that's job. why I 
Yeah, yes, that's, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's happening so tomorrow. This is it. Blameless and flawless. Yeah. Nice. Um. So I actually I don't know. Um. Let's ask this next guy. Ryan Seifert writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan. It's just, <laughs> it's just you're you're right here. Um, the fun way. Why is it socially unacceptable for men to wear leggings? They look very comfortable, mm. and it's not fair. No. I mean, I, I I don't know. Like, what's socially acceptable? Like, what does that even mean? You know, yeah, that's out the window now. Yeah, exactly." I think Ryan, if leggings look comfortable to you, you should just wear them. But also probably like a cup, because oh, people are going to run up and try to kick you in the balls if you're walking around wearing leggings as a man. So just yeah, there, there, yeah there's a lot more to show. Yeah, yeah. Ryan's actually here. He says nobody is stopping me. Yeah, and then it's going to be cup check, <laughs> boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just be prepared for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. Like we we wear yeah. we wear jogging pants, right? Like that's our leggings. Our leggings are just sweatpants. The gray gray sweatpants. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. I tell you well, what, you I couldn't I couldn't wear leggings. That that'd be I got a lot of I got a lot back there. <laughs> it'd be it could be problematic. Yeah. There's a theme to tonight's episode that I'm not really <laughs> comfortable with. Um, it's getting it's getting weird. Gary Dykstra writes, Dear Alan and Dave. What's your favorite 1980s era rock slash pop album? Oh, Dave, favorite 1980s rock slash pop album. I was trying to think, like, like I I had one picked out, but now it just popped in my mind. I loved that that um, Batman album. It was all Prince, so it was basically a Prince album. But it, the one I came up with, uh, Michael Jackson's Bad. I loved that mm -hmm. as a kid. Um. Yeah. I I had two choices and they're both from 1980. So I guess that counts as the 1980s. Ooh, right on the right on the edge. But that's the thing though, is because the 80s are gay, and so I'm I'm really finding 70s music yeah, that just 70s, happened yeah. to come out after January 1st. Yeah. yeah, it was made in the 70s. Yeah. So uh, the game by Queen, which uh, two tracks you'll know oh, off yeah. of that album is "Crazy Little Thing Called Love" and another one "Bites the Dust." And also, there's this album called Back in Black by ACDC. Ooh. Yeah. Both of those that came that out in 80? 19... Both, both of those came out in 1980. Wow. What a time. Yeah. Yeah. So that counts, I think. That counts. Mm, definitely. Back in Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian Johnson writes, Dear Alan and Dave, which is worse, fanny packs or Crocs? Um, to, for, for me, it's Crocs. What do you think? Oh, what the what the hell? <laughs> um, for me, I I like them both. I'm I'm cool with them. I think you should wear them together. Make a statement. Establish dominance. Yeah, you've been making a lot of statements in tonight's show. <laughs> yeah. It just it just keeps on. Could you imagine? I got leggings on, fanny pack. My Crocs mm -hmm. are popping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People keep on coming up behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Get a lot back there. Yeah. yeah. Got a lot going on. Um, <laughs> boy, and thank God, right on time, Mary Lynn Willimowski writes, Dear Alan and Dave, Uh-oh, what did I... What kind of chores did you do as a child? Dave, what kind of chores did you do as a child? I don't I don't think I had any, like, set chores. Like, it wasn't, like, from, from what I remember, I didn't have, like, this is my chore. You, you had to clean up after yourself, clean your room. Mm-hmm. 
Although I can remember my mom doing that every once in a while. Ooh. But yeah, it was it was basically like, hey, go do this. Yeah. Whenever something popped into my dad's mind. That's kind of how it went. Yeah. Well, this this is really kind of like a callback to last week's episode. Our chores were do oh. what they say and you won't be hurt. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, we mowed the grass and raked the leaves yep. and so we did the yard. If my dad couldn't do the yard work, we did the yard work because the rule was you don't make your mother go do that. No. If your mom has to go outside and do your physical labor for you, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's no good. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and finally, real quick, Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Dave, do you think the Russian president was candid with Tucker Carlson, or was he just putting him on? You know, at I'll, I'll at least give Andy this. That was a Sorry. very timely pun. Guys, yes. we're going to be back with Hunter Dorenzis to give us an update on Defend the Guard. Right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening is, he's a lot of things, actually. He's the editor at the Libertarian Institute. He is a regular contributor in American Conservative Magazine. He's also the communications director at Bring Our Troops Home, which you, you might have heard of this one little thing that they kind of talk about a lot. It's called Defend the Guard, which he's here to give us some updates on this very evening. Uh, also wearing a very appropriate shirt for this particular interview. It is Hunter Dorensis. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Alan. Really happy to be back on the late night circuit. I got to tell you, I did have a standing offer to appear as the premier guest on Jon Stewart's return to hosting, but I turned him down flat. I knew this interview had to be an Alan Mosby exclusive, so I'm really happy to be joining you this evening. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, even though you're a damn dirty liar and this is your last appearance on the show. However... Uh, you know what? We'll we'll talk about John Stewart some other time. I I almost just now went down the goat trail of oh John Stewart's coming back. I wonder how bad the ratings must have gotten. That being neither here nor there. So the last time you were on, you did an episode with us just over a year ago where we talked about defend the guard. And of course, uh, at the time of this of this episode, it's uh, the first week of February, which means we are right in the throes of the new legislative cycle. For, uh, for people who don't know that, right after January 1st rolls around, all of those critters that you have at the state level are all uh, rubbing their mandibles together, talking about how they can steal money from you for their constituents' pet projects. It is that time of year, but you guys have your eyes set on something a little bit more important. You guys talk about Defend the Guard. So, so give us some updates on where Defend the Guard stands in uh, some hot places around the country. Sure. So among the insects and reptiles that you find in the state capitals, there are, believe it or not, some good people. And we've been able to find some good people in over 30 states to oh. introduce this bill in the 2024 legislative session. Uh, and 
you might be surprised by this, some people, but over 25% of our primary bill sponsors this coming year are military veterans. Mm -hmm. uh, so over a quarter, which I believe is incredibly impressive that out of this movement, which is gaining so much traction nationally, that veterans, especially of the global war on terror, are taking such a leadership position in this. And I'm not surprised by that because there's so many who have really come to see the realization that these wars are not good for our country, and they're still proud of their service, but they view part of that service as having to follow the U.S. Constitution and promoting bills like ours, which will keep their brothers and sisters in uniform out of fighting even more endless wars. Of course, the organization I'm here speaking for, Bring Our Troops Home, was founded by veterans of the global war on terror. And uh, while I myself am not a veteran, I'm just a civilian who likes to help out every now and again. But uh, they're doing their part, and it's incredibly inspiring to see that we're having so many of them take leadership positions on bills like these. Uh, so yes, over 30 states will be considering Defend the Guard legislation this coming year. We've already had a handful of hearings. We're planning a lot more hearings. And even beyond hearings, we're planning a lot of wins in these legislatures because we're going to get this bill passed. And we're going to keep our National Guard out of unconstitutional wars and restore the American Republic of old and get rid of the D.C. empire that you know has you know set up its parapets on the Potomac. Now, I I recall, uh, you know, not 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 to name any names or anything, but I I know a couple of the folks who have worked a lot on some of the Defend the Guard legislation, and I remember just a year or two ago, uh, it it was very much a you know this is a this is a concept stage conceptual stage this is an idea this is something we want to put forward but you know if you're if you're going to work in politics ladies and gentlemen you have to draft the legislation uh you have to think of all the weaselly way that lawyers would try to work around things uh you have to think of the the powers that be the ways that they're going to attack you to try to get these get these bills shot down in committee to get these things killed uh you have to be able to overcome those types of objections um but now over 30 states uh having having these bills introduced how big of a jump is that over just say this time last year oh it's an enormous jump the last time we spoke in december 2022 we had just passed the benchmark of over 20 states now it's over 30 we are a growing movement and we're growing every year thanks to not only fantastic uh, leadership from my boss uh, sergeant dan mcknight a veteran of the war out war in afghanistan and my co-worker uh, diego rivera who is a veteran of Iraq, but because of great activists on the ground and volunteers, whether they're libertarians or conservatives or even some liberals who say that we're done with these wars, uh, just taking it for an example, uh, your boys in Tennessee, uh, the volunteer state. We had some great volunteers recently, like Zeb Proctor, Zach Tatum, Ezra Warwick, who did a huge show of support in helping us get our bill introduced there. Introduced in Tennessee for the first time this year. It's one of the new states that we've been able to chalk up. Uh, for anyone interested, that's SB 2750, introduced by State Senator Rusty Crow, who is a decorated Vietnam War veteran. Uh, so states like Tennessee, states like Vermont, state like, states like Alaska, we're chalking all of these up, and not only is the bill expanding into new states this 
legislative season, but we're taking it farther in the states where it was previously introduced. In March of last year, the bill passed a state uh, legislate state legislative house for the very first time. It was the Arizona Senate. It passed 16 to 13 with every single Republican senator in Arizona supporting our bill, which is an enormous achievement that I can't emphasize enough how important that is and how much effort and work it takes to get something like that to happen from just an idea stage, as you described, into actual legislative action. And going into this year, the bill is once again introduced in Arizona, carried again by one of our greatest champions, Colonel Wendy Rogers, who's a 20-year veteran of the United States Air Force, introduced again as Senate Bill 1121. And this year, not only is it going to pass the Senate again, but it's going to pass the Senate with every single one of those Republican senators as a co-sponsor saying they support the bill. From the Senate Majority Leader to the Senate President, they've put their stamp of approval on this and saying that the Arizona National Guard should not be fighting any wars that the United States Congress has not declared. And we just had an enormous victory just last month in New Hampshire, the third largest English-speaking house in the world, passed our bill in a vote of 187 to 182. And sometimes it's those kind of narrow margins we're working with, which goes to show how crucial support from the public is from activists or donors or anybody who really wants to support our movement. Uh, so we're doing incredible things with the resources we're getting. We are getting into new states. We're building on old states. And we truly believe that 2024 could be the year where Defend the Guard gets signed into law, which is nothing short of a revolution in not just the liberty movement, but U.S. foreign policy. This is the most important non-interventionist legislative achievement in decades, easily. Well, it's, I always find the politics of these types of things really interesting. Even if you're even if you're a libertarian or leaning anarchist kind of person who thinks, oh, harumph, I don't care about voting. I don't care about who gets elected. But at the state level, ladies and gentlemen, that's where some really interesting things take place. Uh, that's where you see some of these types of battles fought. And, and, and people who uh, don't keep up with this sort of thing might be confused by some of the things you're saying when they hear, oh, this bill was introduced this year and then it's reintroduced the next year, then it's reintroduced the next year because these battles are are oftentimes not won or lost just on a single vote right i mean it takes years and years of building that coalition uh laying the groundwork and, and also refining things on your own end you know meeting some certain objections and 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 being willing to reach across the aisle uh and likewise there as you as you already mentioned i think i think some people kind of raise their eyebrow and wonder hey what's going what's going on with this defend the guard legislation when they see red states it being introduced. They see blue states it being introduced. It's seeing, they see it being sponsored. Sure, it's being sponsored by a lot of Republicans. Sometimes you see Democrats. And and that and that gets into the heart of the 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 disconnect between the the state level houses and senates working on a bill where explicitly trying to 
uh, retake control of some of their sovereignty versus the federal level. Because, I mean, you and I know that for people who only watch political CNN news for five minutes, all they're hearing is really what's going on in Washington, D.C. They're not really hearing what's going on on the state to state level. Do you do, do you have to deal with that a lot where you're you're talking to just the person on the street saying, no, 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 block all that D.C. nonsense out. This is something we're doing here close to home. We do, because just as you said, national news is most of what people see on Twitter or cable television and things like that. So it's important to remind them that change can start right where you live. And I think it's a very easy side-by-side comparison to make the progress that Bring Our Troops Home is able to achieve versus some of the Beltway organizations, which have so much more money and resources than we do. But for instance, just in the past couple of weeks, Joe Biden has started a new bombing campaign in Yemen. This is military action that was never approved by Congress, that there's no legal authority for. And what happens? You have some letters go around Capitol Hill where a handful of senators, Democrats and Republicans, sign on and they say, hey, We don't approve of this military action by the president. He needs to come to us for permission. And those letters get sent around. They get some signatures, and they go to the media, and some articles are written. And then nothing happens because it's a letter. It's not even a resolution. It's not a bill. It's not impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden for violating one of the core tenets of the U.S. Constitution. It's nothing because there's no political power on Capitol Hill to make change in the direction that you and I want to see. There's not enough people, there's not enough resources to overcome the military-industrial complex in the heart of the empire. And that's why organizations like Bring Our Troops Home want to kick over the entire board and say, we don't need to work on Capitol Hill. We don't need to elect U.S. senators And as long as we get, you know, 51 U.S. senators to say no more AUMFs and no more endless wars, never going to happen. We don't believe in playing by the war party's rules. That's why we go to state houses where we can find majority of legislatures to say, hey, we don't want our National Guard fighting these wars. And if our National Guard doesn't go to fight, then you don't have the manpower to support these wars at all. And we will obligate the federal government to bring our troops home if they don't follow the law. So it is really incredible the progress we've been able to make on the state level. And that has come from Republicans and uh, marginally some Democrats. And actually, uh, right now, we just had last week a fantastic hearing in the state of Maryland. And we are one vote short of getting our bill out of committee. And if it does pass out of the committee, uh, out of the Maryland House of Delegates, that will be the first time that a Democratic majority committee passes our bill. We're one vote away because we have volunteers going to phone bank, because we have people showing up to their local state capitol and saying, hey, I support this bill. It's because we have people showing up to testify during hearings. It's because of the work of my coworker, Diego Rivera, who was whipping up the grassroots and getting support done. We're able to do that at the local level, while these massive Beltway organizations can't do one one-thousandth of the same effort on Capitol Hill just because of the way the system's structured. That doesn't mean that the people who are working on this stuff in D.C. 
aren't necessarily bad or less committed to the movement than we are. It just means that their strategy isn't working and ours is. And that's something that really people have to begin to understand because the, as you said, the U.S. empire, the largest and strongest global military hegemon in the history of the planet is not going to be defeated in one day or by one bill in one legislative session. Uh, we are building a national movement to get this bill passed. It'll take effort. It'll take years. It'll take sacrifice. But we're going to get it done. Uh, just for some examples, even bills that you know any bog standard Republican would support, such as uh, less gun control or right to work laws. There are some states, you know, deep red states, say Idaho or Missouri where it took 10 years to get a right-to-work law passed. Think how much time and effort it's going to take with you know, defeating the U.S. empire and bringing our troops home and ending these endless wars. You'd think it would take a century, but it's not. In only four years since Bring Our Troops Home adopted this bill, we've got it introduced in over 30 states. We've got it passed partially in Arizona, in New Hampshire, and soon to be other states. And in a few short years, we'll have this bill signed by a governor. We'll have a challenge in the courts. We will force the federal government to either follow the law and force accountability on our elected representatives, or we will force them to bring our troops home and finally beginning to put America first. We could see it as soon as this year if people are willing to put the effort in, make donations, make phone calls, and sign up to join our movement. It's that important, and it can be done that soon if people are willing to put in the effort like we are. Uh, really quick before we, we take our first break, I, I know you had mentioned there, uh, of course, our glorious leader, President Biden, is trying to set the uh, high score for number of new wars he can start in a calendar year. Off to a great, fantastic start in 2024. Um, do, how does that sort of affect the landscape when it comes to discussing defend the guard on the state to state level because I, I i on the one hand i can understand people saying well of course of course with all of this unrest around the globe of course with all of these attacks on our troops of course with all these military engagements around you know is particularly in the middle east um we you know we look guys we we can't risk pulling back this is such an important time for global security but obviously, on the other hand, you you see, of course, you see the the handful of of uh, soldiers who who died in the drone attack re uh, recently, and you think to yourself, wait a minute, I didn't sign up to be sitting in a base in Jordan getting drone striked. I signed up to defend my country. I don't know what my country's doing over in Jordan, but I signed up to defend my country. So how how do you navigate those waters? Our organization first adopted Defend the Guard in 2020, and we've been advocating and working for its passage every day since then. We've done it when foreign policy is the main news story. We've done it when foreign policy is not. We've advocated for it when it's an easy sell. We've advocated for it when it's a hard sell. That's what we do day in, day out. We're the only organization doing that on a national level. And it is a shame that it takes soldiers dying for Americans' attention to refocus on these issues. It's tragic 
that we have to wait until blood is spilt before more people begin listening to the veterans who fought these wars and looking at what our laws actually say. So, for instance, as you uh, spoke about, we had three members of the National Reserves killed in a drone attack in Jordan, and we had over 40 Americans injured, many of them members of the Arizona National Guard. And I can tell you, that had an enormous impact at our committee hearing just last week in Arizona, when we actually had the adjutant general of the State National Guard, who takes his orders from the National Guard Bureau in D.C. and from the War Party in the Pentagon, come and testify against our bill and say, hey, don't pass this. You know, If you do this, you're going to bring hell down upon your heads. The Pentagon's going to come in. And they're going to cause a lot of problems for you people. Don't do it. But we had state senators like Wendy Rogers and others who said, hey, we're elected officials. We're elected by our constituents to pass bills like this, to do what is right. We don't like seeing our National Guard risk their lives in wars that were never declared by Congress, that don't have the consent of the people. And we don't care about your threats we challenge you to actually enforce them because we're going to do what's right. We're going to pass this bill. We're going to bring our troops home and we're going to enforce the law. And I think it's really inspiring that when you know the going gets tough, we have so many exceptional bill champions who are willing to stand up to generals who come down with threats and say, we're still going to do the right thing because that's what we do, because we're patriots, because we're constitutionalists. That's really inspiring. But again, it's a shame that it sometimes takes moments like this for the public to get refocused and really realize what's important here. And that's protecting our soldiers' lives. It's enforcing the U.S. Constitution. And it's putting America first in all policy. Well, on that, uh, guys, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more with our friend Hunter Dorensis from every single other institute I named earlier in the show. Guys, we will be right back after this break. It's Too Late with Alan Mosley is proudly supported by Fox & Sons Coffee. Fans of It's Too Late use code ITL and receive 18% off orders of $25 or more. Shipping's always free on orders over $37.99, so get yours today at their website, which is www.foxandsons.com. It's www.foxandsons.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, during during the break, uh, Hunter informed me that I cannot have one of the shirts like he's wearing unless I work for it. But as as he's not aware, I I have a podcast, which means I don't work. Um, but Hunter, you said a phrase back in our first segment uh, that I, I want to bring up here because I know you recently wrote an article related to it. This is a phrase that's become very, very politically loaded in the uh, current environment that we live in, you said America first. Now, to different people, that means different things. But, oh, would you look at that? What does it mean to be America first? Right there, featured at the American Conservative by Hunter Dorensis, came out this very day 
I wish you would let me know ahead of time when we would have more stuff to talk about. Hunter, what does America First mean? America First means that the United States should engage in less foreign wars and less diplomatic commitments because those kind of unnecessary overseas projects only make our people materially poorer and less free. And the point of the article is that I tried to have come across was describing the history of America First as a slogan from when it was first used uh, during World War I uh, to when it was used famously during World War II, and then finally by uh, Pat Buchanan and other conservatives dissatisfied uh, following the Cold War with the Imperial Project and how it's being used today and that this term has a very proud history in the American consciousness. It does have a very particular meaning and that the term should not be used and abused by others to become transmogrified into whatever they want to use it for. At the end of the day, America first means anti-war. That's what it's always meaned. That's what it will continue to mean if people are willing to stand up and defend its integrity. Well, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned Pat Buchanan there because I, I think a lot of people who don't study history or for younger audiences who 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 have only lived in a in a world where the war on terror, such as it is, um, exists, you know, in a in a post 9/11 world for our younger audiences. Um, but you know, in the American psyche before the Cold War, you know, even during the the era of the World Wars, the the idea of wait a minute, I I don't want to go die in in europe for the old world's wars or oh wait a minute i I don't want my taxes raised to pay for some other country's defense or whatever that was just the prevailing thought amongst americans for a long time but then of course you suddenly have these uh we'll we'll, we'll just call them small incidents i.e world wars uh the cold war uh and then the war on terror but it but in between those last two you have the uh the uh, presidential campaign of Pat Buchanan. And for people who are old enough to remember Pat Buchanan, who was an amazing speechwriter, by the way, I think a lot of this, particularly younger audiences don't really know where, where Pat came from, um, who ran because he was, he was, you know, he puts his finger in the wind and he says, you know, I, he, he can see the writing on the wall. He's looking at George HW Bush. Um, and of course his son was, was much the same saying that, look, this, the, the empire is is unfolding before our eyes and he was a true republican in the traditional sense of the word um t- tell us a little bit more if you don't mind because we, we have a little bit of time to to expound upon that thought and expound upon perhaps how we went from the average american thinking well you know I, what's going on over there is none of my business to sort of where we are today of, oh, yes, sir, I'll I'll walk through your x-ray scanner at the airport. Please fuel me up. I just want to do my part. How did what happened? So I know I'm, that that's not that's such a small question, not loaded at all, Hunter. Yeah. So I'm personally a big fan of Pat Buchanan. I probably have more books on my bookshelf by him than any other author. I think he's an inspiration to all American patriots. I think he's a great historian, and I very much recommend people check out his work. Uh, As you mentioned, Pat Buchanan started off as a journalist uh, working in the, I believe it's the St. Louis Globe, uh, before he hitched his 
Cart to Richard Nixon, became a prominent speechwriter in the Nixon White House, went on to serve as a communications director for Ronald Reagan. And by the time you get to the 1992 Republican primaries, Pat saw an administration helmed by George H.W. Bush, who had never been aligned with conservatives in the party. And he saw a president who had broken his promise and raised taxes, a president who supported and signed the Civil Rights Act of 1991, uh, which expanded the civil rights infrastructure we have now and, uh, you know, oppressing businesses and getting more of the, you know, the early woke things into our culture. And a president who had gone to war in Iraq, which Pat saw as a completely unnecessary conflict. And he ran for president and challenged the Bush as the incumbent. And he did it under the banner America First. And more than anyone, he's really the person who revived that movement starting in the 1990s, because following World War II and the original America First Committee, which uh, disbanded following Pearl Harbor, many of the old uh, America Firsters, they were unable to really put Uh, those ideas into the next generation as a consequence of the Cold War. Many of them died off in the early 1950s. The last congressional remnants were defeated in the 1964 election. And I cover a lot of that uh, in what happened during those years in one of my uh, previous articles called The Epilogue to the Old Right, which people can find at the American Conservative. Uh, It's only about 11,000 words. Shouldn't be too much to get through. Uh, so people can read that. And yeah, Pat did an excellent job reviving that sentiment that we should not be fighting these endless wars because Pat himself was a cold warrior. He very much believed in the U.S. project in Vietnam. He opposed and disagreed with Richard Nixon's flight to China and opening up relations with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, He very much was in that milieu. But when the Cold War ended, when the Berlin Wall came down, when the Soviet Union collapsed, Pat, among very few conservatives, said, fantastic, the threat of international communism is done. And just like conservatives were promised in 1950, we can go back to the way things were. We can go back to the old republic. We can get rid of this national security state, which we only needed to to counter these temporary threats. And it can all go back to how great it was. And everyone else in the Republican Party said, what the hell are you talking about? We were (laughs) never going to fulfill that promise. We're not going back. This is the global empire. We're here to stay. Pat challenged that. He ran for president against Bush and garnered about a fifth of the primary vote. He ran again in the Republican primaries in 1996 and won New Hampshire, uh, which is you know a very impressive thing to have done. He did it with his Buchanan brigades and middle Americans rising up to say that we're tired of our country being put last on so many subjects. And finally, he did it as the Reform Party nominee in 2000. Uh, He just retired from his syndicated column, I believe, just a year or two ago. And yeah, fantastic man, extremely impressive career, and a true inspiration uh, to all, not just conservatives, but I think all American patriots. And I think there's a lot of things, particularly on foreign policy and particularly on how important social relations are, that libertarians can learn from reading more Pat Buchanan. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that and sort of kind of to bring this full circle and, and bring it home with with Defend the Guard. I Without getting too much into uh, to Orange Man, the, the guy who's currently leading in polls for the for the Republican Party, um, it's it's hard to express to people how important bills are on a state to state level when you live in such a a supremacy clause uh you know, environment, you know, as, as, as Thomas Massey, and I love Thomas Massey, but as even he himself has said, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Um, so for people who think that way, they're, I, they only really get hyped up for politics once every four years, don't they? Because they always feel like, well, I've got to find a presidential candidate who's going to come in and he's going to rule with an iron fist and he's going to use all that power of the executive that has been usurped from Congress, that's been usurped from the courts, that's been usurped from the states, and he's going to enforce my worldview upon others. But it seems like so often, of course, for those of us who have been around the anti-war movement for more than 15 seconds, uh, not only does it not appear that that guy is going to gonna show up for us but every single time another guy comes along that claims to be an outsider that claims to be america first or or perhaps he wants to make america great again uh those promises seem to fall short don't they and so all the more reason then it's like well instead of just throwing up our hands and saying well i guess there's just nothing to be done for it the battle's lost and we're going to live in a militaristic empire until the end of days no you can do something closer to home. You absolutely can. Uh, Thomas Massey, by the way, has publicly endorsed our bill. Uh, yes. One of the few sitting members of Congress to do so, along with uh, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona. Uh, so, yeah, Massey, fantastic guy, really happy to have his support for this kind of legislation. And you're entirely right, and it's what I said earlier. There's no magical fix to this problem. There's no man on a white horse of any party or any president or anything that's going to come in and immediately solve these problems. Because at the end of the day, the people who are saying that they want someone to come in and fix all these problems easily are people saying that they don't want to put in the work, are people who are saying, well, I can't make change, when you can. Bring Our Troops Home has demonstrated that you can make this change. We started advocating for Defend the Guard and to end the U.S. empire when Donald Trump was president. We've done it while Joe Biden has been president, and if Donald Trump is elected to a second term, we'll continue to advocate for this. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's in power in D.C., the war, the war party never leaves. Our organization does not endorse political candidates for any office. We're completely about the issues and education and putting the work in to actually get these bills finalized. We don't care about the retail politics of it. We care about bringing our troops home and defending the integrity of the National Guard. And people who care about those issues should actually decide to do something about it. And they can do that by donating to our cause, by going to our websites, defendtheguard.us and bringourtroopshome.us. They can do it by phone banking, by volunteering hours. Because we're proving that you can make change at the local level that has an international impact. It can be done if you're willing to put in the work. And when people realize that, that's the day that the U.S. empire will come to an end and not a day sooner. 
Well, thank you so much, Hunter, for giving us a pep talk to wrap up the show with. You already hit the link site. We got that. We're also going to share your article over at the American Conservative. What does it mean to be America first? But of course, as you know, we've got one last question for you. Are you ready for the bonus round? I'm ready. Is a corn dog a Wellington? I've never had beef Wellington, but I've eaten a lot of hot dogs. So I am have to look at this being a little one-sided. Now, the thing about, again, I've never had a Wellington, but I've watched enough Hell's Kitchen episodes to get a general idea about their preparation. So I think technically a Wellington has to have that layer of mushroom in between the beef filet and the puff pastry. And I think if you don't use those mushrooms or if you use something else, it's technically not a beef Wellington, at least as traditionally done. So while also the fact that there's so many hot dogs that are not just beef, there are also pork hot dogs and other things. So I got to say, based on the fact that beef Wellington traditionally has several other ingredients besides just you know, meat wrapped in bread because of that. And because I think that there is a certain integrity and in keeping uh, the name with that. And so, you know, I don't, I never want to get Gordon Ramsay's disapproval on anything. So I would have to come down on the side that no, a hot dog, while I believe it is a sandwich, is not a beef Wellington. Oh, sorry, corn dog, you said. A corn dog yeah. is not a beef Wellington. That, that final answer. <laughs> Oh, sorry. We hate to See, hear that. See, that's open interpretation. You're trying <laughs> no. to get me on this stuff. It's... No, no. Now, now, you are correct that a hot dog is, in fact, a sandwich. But, uh, by the way, a Wellington doesn't have to have the mushroom layer. It can, it can be a variety of other items. That is a compelling argument. I will give you that. However, uh, in the same way that you would say it is a beef Wellington, because a Wellington can be different types of things, I didn't ask you... If a if it there a corn dog Wellington would be a hot dog Wellington, so it is a little bit of an interesting turn of phrase. I said, "Is a corn dog a Wellington?" So technically, a corn dog is a hot dog Wellington. So there you go. The next time you're at a restaurant, you can go up to the counter and say, "My friend Alan Mosley said to order two hot dog Wellingtons," and I promise you, they will know what they're talking about. A corn dog is a Wellington. See, this is why restaurants need more of an ability to discriminate among customers because they shouldn't serve me anything if I ask for that. Yes. Ha hashtag fight for 15. Hunter, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show, buddy. Thank you, Alan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Guys, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Alan Mosley TV. You can follow me on Twitter. Twitter.com at Alan Mosley TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. 
But if you're more of a listener than a watcher, you get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, thanks to Spotify. It's Too Late with Alan Mosley or Alan Mosley TV. Don't forget to get your tickets for the 6th annual It's Too Late live show, Saturday, May 18th, here in beautiful Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, Dave, do you have a final thought? Um, I feel overdressed now. I love Defend the Guard. That is such a great initiative, and I, I'm so excited to see them like making some headway. That's really cool. Yeah, I yeah. love those guys. Yeah, you ever been yeah. known to make some headway, Dave? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, after party. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, real quick, Let's... obviously. Yeah. Uh, ooh, we've got a, a special little highlight reel clip to play, and maybe time permitting, a little story time with Uncle Alan. Ooh, yeah, that's exciting. But that's only on Twitch, so you got to go over to Twitch to get to get the goodies, to get the get the late night. Be there. Yeah. Yeah. Be there or don't. I guess. Yeah, it's whatever. It's, you know, it's midweek. It's late. <laughs> Probably just go to bed. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week. Yeah, we, we're, we like, way behind on selling tickets to the events. I think I'm just going to cancel it. I mean, you guys haven't, like, reserved anything, have you? No. Okay. No, just make sure. Already financially... Oh. Well, in that case, join us May 18th. <laughs> yeah. We need to sell about 70 more tickets for me to not lose money on my annual fundraiser. Yeah. Yeah. Just... <laughs>